Good morning, guys. How's everyone doing? That was very discombobulated. Good morning, people. How's everyone doing? I just want to let you guys know we're a loud church, so feel free to hoot, holler, do whatever you will. Um, yeah, I'm so thrilled to be here, guys. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Resonate. Uh, today is special for us because we're launching. Like This is the first big week. Uh, and before we do any of that, I want to thank the person. I didn't know he was going to be here. I was just going to have him listen to the podcast later. But literally none of this would be possible uh, if it weren't for my dad who started this to begin with. So, uh, Dad, would you stand and can we just clap Miss Dave the Rays? And that was the most emotional part of the sermon for me, so I can get through that. Um, no, thank you guys. This is so special for me. Uh, I was joking with a couple people that this feels like a wedding because a lot of you are like, there's just so many different phases of life in one room, and it's so cool to see us all come together. Um, and it's so cool to see us all come together under the banner of church. And we're going to talk a lot this morning about what church means, what that word means little c and what that word means capital C. Um, so before we do any of that, I just I want to pray for us. So let's, let's pray together. God, uh, I'm so grateful that we have the ability to uh, gather, to gather as Resonate, to gather as the church, to, uh, to gather to hopefully learn a little bit more about you. And God, as we sort of unveil this fresh new way to do church, I pray uh, first and foremost in all the way that, that you would be leading us, even this morning as I speak, um, as we launch into this new phase, into this new season, God be with us and just create excitement. And Lord, I really pray even more powerful than what we're going to talk about in here, the community that's formed out in the lobby and around the tables, you would just bless that and let us leave this place incredibly slowly. Amen. So there's this saying uh, in the music world, and actually there's not just this saying in the music world, but Andrew, our fabulous mustachioed worship leader, uh, actually told it to me. Andrew has these Andrewisms that I like to just like pull. Uh, and it was that like sometimes in music, like if you're in the studio, something sounds so good that you literally just have to sort of laugh. Like you have to smile because there's no other response to how good that sounds. And as we've been working towards what Resonate is going to become, there have been moments where I have just had to smile and giggle to myself because I'm so giddy and excited. So I can't wait to share with you this morning what we've been working on. Um, we had been moving at this breakneck speed for the past year. And the truth of the matter, right up front, is that church planning is really difficult. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of energy. And we had found ourselves, uh, within the first year of our church, just sort of like in the work of it, like putting our heads down and gritting through and just trying to get the Sunday morning services working. We were doing all sorts of big events. And over the summer, I began to realize that we had stopped something really, really key for a new church and something vital for a new church. And that was that we had stopped listening. And what that means is that we had sort of inserted our DNA into this town, into this city, uh, and we had stopped asking what people actually wanted out of church and had just sort of settled into, well, this is, what, this is who we are. Um, as we're going to learn this morning, I think we need to be flexible in that always. So the rules we're going to lay down this morning for the church are going to be fluid, they're flexible, they're going to change over time because culture changes over time, people change over time, I will change over time. There's only a limited amount of time I have with hair on my head, so once I'm bald, we're going to have to figure out new church rules. 
Um, so we'd stopped listening. So what we did is we put together this really awesome crew called the strategy team. If you're on the strategy team, could you raise your hand and can we all just clap crazy loud for them? Awesome. Uh, the strategy team was a team that we put together to basically figure out uh, this next season of church. Like through the summer, what are we going to be like in the fall? All working towards today and beyond. And so we, we, we sat together and we said, what's the best way to move forward? And the best way to move forward was listening. So we sent this team out with a thing of questions for people who go to church, for people who had never been in a church, for people who want nothing to do with church, for people who are hippie spiritualists and want everything to do with every kind of church. We just wanted to sit down and talk with people and figure out what it is they believed church was. And so we did it. We had these conversations. And the, the primary thing that we got back was absolutely fascinating. I mean, we, we took all of our conversations and our notes and we put them all together. And some of the highlights that we came up with, um, we came to the conclusion that, that in almost every one of our conversations, we learned that people don't really want a guru. So people don't really want a guy talking at you for all that long. What they're really longing for was sort of a space that they could come and safely explore their faith. And that included conversation. That included dialogue. It wasn't just this, like, you're going to sit here and listen to this um, sort of a moment. They wanted something where there was not a dress code and the music didn't all sound the same, but one where it would be okay to not know the Bible intimately, but they could explore without feeling like an outsider. So enter, resonate. We took all that stuff, we funneled it down into this language. We are a church for people who don't have it figured out because we don't either. And what we do have it figured out is that Jesus' kindness and humility is something to aspire to, and as a result, this is a community that anyone no matter who you are, where you're at, or what you've done, you are welcome and you're safe in this space. And we think that's a radical, practical, awesome idea that lines up with the love of God. So this is the new direction of Resonate. If you want to throw up that infographic, I'll go in depth a little bit more um, in our... Uh, there we go. Uh, so most of the time, church sort of looks just like this, right? It's a building. It's the thing in the center, right? And while it is the center, what we wanted to do is decenter that idea of church. We wanted to push these arrows out. So if you'd imagine all of these arrows pointing inward, I think that's likely what, what most of our church experience has been like. We want you to come in. We want you to give. We want you to get plugged into serving. We want all that kind of stuff. But what we thought was like, what if we flip the script and we sent everybody out? So Sunday gatherings, this thing right here, is one part of what we do, but it's just as important as every other part. This is not the key. It is a part to the key. So what we're doing is we have small groups. Small groups are our chance to get connected into like real deal community where we can do life with each other. If you are interested in joining a small group, please email me as you saw on the screen before, or you can come talk to me, or you can come talk to any um, uh, of our board members. You probably don't know what they look like, but ask me who they are and I'll push you towards them. Um, oh, thank you. And back to that. And then so uh, the other one is podcasts. And I think this one's a really interesting one. Sacred spaces can exist anywhere. Right? It's not this building. It's not these walls. It's, it's wherever we are and we're engaging with God. And so we, we took that and we went, I think a sacred space could actually be our phone. And I thought that was a pretty weird and crazy idea because so often it's our phone that pulls us out of sacred spaces. So what would it look like to engage with a podcast, a sermon, or a podcast about whatever it is we're talking about, and make that phone, that distraction, not the distraction, but actually the sacred space. So you can be with us even if you aren't physically with us. And then finally, mentors, well not finally, we got service, but mentors, 
And this is the coolest thing I think we're doing. And this is that we are looking for seasoned people to get together with unseasoned people. That doesn't just mean like conversations over coffee about Jesus or about God, although I like do that all day long. What it is about is it's linking people who are like professionally linked, linking people who are like humanly linked. We want to get people involved in conversations and we want seasoned people to pour in to unseasoned members of our community that works with faith, that works with life. And some of the practical stuff that we're doing, uh, we have a social media mentorship available right now, which is like real deal, like you can use that on a resume. We have uh, a production mentorship available right now, which is real deal, you can use that on a resume. And um, many of you in this room are like, I don't really care for production. But if you know someone who is, that's the kind of stuff where we can invite people in and go like, hey, you're really into this production thing. We can get you linked with a, with a real pro and you can learn underneath him, and then you guys can actually be in conversation together and learn from each other. And so I think that's a beautiful generational match uh, for the way that Resonate actually really started with my father and I. And we want to continue that uh, going forward. And then finally, we have service. And service is huge. Service is, uh, is, is one of the biggest parts of all of this. And that means that like, when we started Resonate, we started a church in Ecuador. So we actually started a physical building church in Ecuador before we have a building. That's smart thinking. But we did it because we want to serve globally. And we want to serve globally. And we also want to serve right here in the nitty-gritty, like right now. Like what does it mean to be good news to 18th and Olympic? Like Crossroads School is right across the street from us. How can we partner with them and make their lives a better place and bring Jesus into that community? Also, uh, Santa Monica Brewers just opened over there, so that's just good news for me. But we can go over there and hang out um, and, and be good news. Uh, but what does it look like to be good news in the community that we're currently in right here, right now? So those are some of the, um, the basics of what we're unveiling this morning. And I was trying to figure out how to make this not just like a list of like new things, like a sales pitch thing this morning. So I wanted to frame it within the current series that we're in. We're in this really cool series as a church called Story. And it's about finding ourselves in God's narrative. We believe that the stories in the Bible are so important and vital in not only finding ourselves inside that story, putting ourselves in the shoes of the characters, but also finding ourselves through those stories. So one of my biggest pet peeves in church is uh, you'll walk in, you'll take a seat. Maybe you've never been in a church before. Let's just place ourselves in the shoes of that character. You've never been in church before. And the pastor is up front, and you're already a little bit nervous because you don't know any of the words of the songs, and everybody seems to know the words of the songs. And you sit down, and then the pastor says, uh, everybody turn your Bibles to Leviticus 7. And you're looking at him like, turn my what? Because you, you didn't bring in a Bible. And then two... Levy who? Like, who is Le Leviticus? Like, what is that? And then what is this number seven that you're throwing out? I have no idea what you're talking about. What we want to do is disarm that. And th so through story, I literally took out a children's Bible, like one of like the animated Bibles, and I found the table of contents. And I said, how cool would it be if we picked out all of the beginning stories of the Bible, like all the stuff that if you went to Sunday school, you would have learned. So we've done creation. We've done Adam and Eve. We're going to do uh, Cain and Abel next week. We're going to do Noah and the ark. We're going to do David and Goliath. All these awesome stories that sometimes in church we kind of take for granted. So we're going to take those stories back. And not only are we just going to like tell the story, but the hope is that we'll be able to put a filter of like 2016 on it. Like why is the story of David and Goliath important to me right here, right now, on October 2nd? And there's 
tons of meaning to that. It's an old story. It's like thousands of years old. But maybe it's that like David is a symbol for this small group going up against a larger oppressive force and God's love and care through that. Or maybe it's that David is an incapable human being that actually does great things with the help of God. All of that is totally, totally relevant to the here and the now and in our lives. And so we're putting the old story together with the new story and shaping story together. And all of that is because I'm absolutely fanatically obsessed with storytelling and what it means to tell a good story. So uh, Jesus knew that these stories were important. And stories are important, especially when they're told well. The act of storytelling creates movies, music, TV shows. It actually creates like cultures. It creates nations. Think about just America in general. If we didn't have the story that we have, we wouldn't really be America. Story is what fuels life. And Jesus seemed to know that, because if you talk to Jesus, he would often answer you in two rather infuriating but awesome ways. Jesus would, one, if you asked him, Jesus, what does it mean to la-di-da? He would say, well, what does it mean to la-di-da? It'd be another question back, and you're like, come on, dude, really? And then the second one would be a story. He would tell what they called parables. And parables weren't unique to Jesus. They were a rabbinic tradition. So if you were a rabbi, you were telling these stories, these parables. This was a common way to get across your message. And Jesus did that so intensely well, and that shows a great deal of care. Because what Jesus was doing was not giving you the literal, here you go, answer. He was giving you something that could take up residence in your soul and change you from the inside out over time. See, too often we view scripture literally, and what it really is is like a slow-release tablet. It's like you take that thing, and over time, it works its way through you, and it changes you. A good story can change you. In the Jewish tradition, the scripture is called uh, the great jewel. And think about that. If you have a jewel, you've got all these mini faces, right? You've got like this really pretty, it's like that big because we're all rolling in it. Um, and you're looking at the jewel. And if you look at it one way, it looks a certain way. And then you turn it, and it's radically different, just in like one little movement. There are so many different ways to view that jewel. It's the same jewel. It's the same story, right? But there are different ways to approach the story hundreds and hundreds of ways to approach just simple lines in scripture. And here's the sad part. When we stop looking for new things, we create a stale version of the church. Statistically speaking, in the United States and around the world, the United States is one of the last ones, the church is shrinking. The church is growing in places like China and Africa because it's underground, but the corporate church, as it were, is absolutely Shrinking. And if, if this is news to you, I encourage you to go look up the Pew Reports or Gallup polls. All of this is really true. And the problem is, when we come to the space where we're supposed to be telling these amazing, cool stories, and we hear the same thing over and over and over and over again, we begin to believe the lie that we don't need these spaces because we can figure it out on our own. That's how important a good story is. And I can go on and on about how to tell a good story, but I figured I would just let like, one of the masters do it. So we're going to watch this video clip real quick um, that's going to explain like, what a good story looks like.
Awesome. Isn't that awesome? That's so good. I was made in 1986, by the way, on a computer that's less powerful than the phone that's in your pocket. I mean, that's crazy that they were able to do that in 1986. Um, what's amazing about that story is that there's no dialogue, right? We don't even really know the characters' names. We, we're not informed about who they are, what's going on. There's one, like, one stagnant shot. And yet, right from the beginning, they have us hooked. Like, we're in. And the reason that is is because, like any good storyteller, they, they let us in. They opened the door, and they pulled us through. They invited us. They created safe space to enjoy and laugh. And even further than that, we're invested. So as silly as it is, when that ball goes down, you feel for that little guy. Like, it, it's a big deal, right? Good stories cause us to concern. They cause us to care. And when we're looking at stories, it's really, 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 really important for us to understand that care and that love that comes out of that, especially as we tell the story of God. I'm going to tell you one of the greatest stories I have, and it's about my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother was an incredible Southern woman um, who birthed five children, which my dad was the last of five. And by the time I came around, grandma was, was a little bit older uh, because, you know, dad was the last one down. Uh, and grandma had this incredible ability to, I don't know how to say this, uh, just like not die. She, would, she, she had a stroke, a heart attack, another stroke, and then fell out of a two-story building onto a concrete parking whatever, like driveway. And the story behind that is incredible. She actually, she was, my aunt had locked her in her room so she couldn't escape. She's 84 at this time. And she decides she's going to get out of that room. So she pops open the window and leaps out of the window onto this concrete thing and shatters her hip. And when asked why she decided to take the window, she simply responded, it didn't look that far. <laughs> this is the kind of incredible genes that I carry within me. I'm unstoppable. <laughs> but grandma uh, also had this interesting habit. And I called it like the, the tractor beam. She had this radius around her that if you were the only person around, oh boy, you were talking to grandma. And, <laughs> And Grandma uh, had a few things to say, and they were mostly the few things to say. There was like uh, Stacy and her epilepsy story. There's you know there's a couple like big hitters that she would go through, and you would hear these stories just over and over and over again. That was sitting near Grandma, and we all know, we all have that relative that like you're like oh boy I'm talking to so and so now and he's gonna bring up that old chestnut or maybe it's you know whatever it is we listen to these these stories over and over and over again and while that's okay to be polite to my nearly invincible grandmother we actually have to like we have to call that out in spaces like this when we come into a church and the story is being told the same old darn way over and over and over again to the point that it's not fresh it's not new and that's actually not okay. We have to begin to learn to tell fresh stories and stories in new ways. And like I said before, if a story is told well, it changes us and calls us in to action. And that's something I hope this community is known for, first and foremost. Last week, we had a thing called Freedom Sunday where we dove into this really 
terrible fact that there are 45 million people living in slavery in the world today. 45 million. And I looked it up, that's double the size of Australia's population. It's insane that 45 million people are living enslaved. And some of you actually partnered with IGM, who hosted the event, and decided to take action and take part in ending that slavery. In two weeks, we're going to hear from Joy, who actually helped start this community. She works for a nonprofit called Treasures. And Treasures is unbelievable. They're taking uh, this group of women, this, that is Treasures, is going into uh, places where, where um, the sex industry thrives. So they're going into strip clubs, and they're going into movie sets, and they're going into all this stuff to literally hand out care packages to the dancers to just let them know that they're treasured and that they're loved. And in that packet is a phone number and email and resources so that they can get out of the sex trade and into a normal rhythm of life with their kids or wherever they're at in life. And they're doing this in insane ways. It's working. They're pulling people out, and they're providing them with lawyers and education and housing and food and finances. It's just this incredible organization. And in two weeks from now, Joy's actually going to come in here and talk about that organization. And we're going to learn how we can help and partner with that. We're involved in Harvest Home, uh, which is an actual home in Venice where uh, like abused and addicted and even homeless single mothers can go. And they can have a place where they can get their life back on their feet. Uh, they house like anywhere between five and ten women at a time. It's this incredible, beautiful ministry, and we're partnered with them in what they're doing. And even more than that, like I said before, we started a church in Ecuador before we even had a physical church building over our heads. Why? Because we encountered the story of God, and we just couldn't do anything else. When you encounter the story of Jesus, the good news, the gospel, there's simply no other thing to do but act. There's no better way to respond than getting involved. And so I hope that this community can become a part of that. This is also what makes the local church such a threat to the evils of this world. We're not big by any means. We are a blip on the radar. But what's so crazy is we can do the four things I just listed and do crazy good in the world just with a small amount of people. It doesn't take much. Jesus called it a mustard seed, right? We talked last week about the fact that a mustard seed isn't actually the smallest seed. That's an orchard seed. But the mustard seed, if you ask any agricultural expert or any farmer or Google, if you ask Google what a mustard seed does, it will tell you that if you plant a mustard seed in a garden, you are basically just planting mustard. Like There is no way that other plants will survive in the economy of the mustard seed. When the mustard seed goes, it sprouts. It goes like bamboo. And it takes over every other thing in that garden. And that's what Jesus called his kingdom, the kingdom of God. He said, once you plant this tiny little thing, it's unstoppable. And I love that metaphor for our little church. You plant this little tiny thing, and in this community and in the globe, we're actually unstoppable. That's a crazy thought. In 1993, Pixar, which was the company that made uh, the movie that we just watched, Pixar got its big break. So Pixar was a small little company. Steve Jobs sort of like took it over, bought it out, uh, and they were, they were like growing on the up and up, and especially technically, like they were like on top of this computer animation, which people just had not seen the way that it was done like that. Like it looked real, it was unbelievable. So Disney gets involved, and they're like, we gotta hop on this computer animation train. So Pixar has this idea for this new movie called Toy Story. And Disney says, we'll partner with you in Toy Story. So they get this big, huge break. And, uh, 
And it, at the time, in 1993, the huge blockbusters that were looming on the Disney sphere were like Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, the Lion King, Little Mermaid, they were these huge, epic, if you grew up when I did, just monster hits. And Disney was just printing money with these things. They would go and they would just explode, right? And the basic premise of all these was it was an animated musical. It was what Disney had started doing and they continued to do. These animated musicals were filling theaters everywhere. And it was the hugest, biggest thing. Now Pixar, uh, in light of that, when they called Tom Hanks to pitch him on the role of Woody, Tom Hanks actually went like, well, do you, you don't want me to sing, do you? And so, I mean, that was how prevalent this thing was. So Pixar actually had five written down rules that they were gonna play by as they told a story. Because the fact of the matter was they, wasn't, they weren't actually bought because of their storytelling ability, they were bought because of their technical ability. So Disney trusted the technical, but they didn't trust in the storytelling. And well, all we know about Pixar now is there's some pretty good storytellers. So, Pixar has five rules. They write them down. The rules are, one, no songs. <laughs> Two, no I want moment. That's the look at this stuff, isn't it neat? Wouldn't you say? I could sing that all day. No happy village is number three, and that's the like, like bonjour, bonjour, the Gaston, the beautiful like thing through the village. And there's no love story, no love story. That's number four. And then number five, most radically of all, no villain. Let me go through that again. No songs, no I want moment, no happy village, no love story, no villain. So there's this period where Pixar isn't doing too hot. They're sort of in a lull and Disney begins to panic on their investment. So they send in this well-known lyricist slash Disney guru to see what needs to change so that Pixar could be successful and move forward. So they send in this guru guy, come in, see what's wrong with the company, shake things up. Pixar intercepts a fax from said guru. And on the facts said, everything's fine. They just need these five things. Songs. <laughs> and I want song, a happy village song, a love story, and a villain. Can you imagine? You see, for Disney, success was in the method. It was in the tried and the true. It was the proof in the pudding type of deal. Like, they weren't going to take many risks because they knew the method. They knew the template. Why mess with the templates? So they go to Pixar and look at them like a bunch of crazies who had no idea what they're doing because they weren't doing the tried and the true. And what they could not predict is that by not listening to Disney, Pixar completely changed the way the world viewed an animated movie. So much so that in 2006, Disney bought Pixar as a means to actually just stay afloat. They had changed the game. This little company saw it the same way of telling a story was getting stale to people. It was not going to be relevant anymore, so they took a risk. They took a giant risk, and they changed the way that we view stories. Can you imagine the amount of risk that's involved in this? This is Disney, the biggest company when it comes to the animated motion picture. And then this is Pixar, the smallest company when it comes to an animated motion picture. The financial pressure in that, the career pressure in that, like, just listen to Disney. They know what they're doing. And the audacity to say, no, no, you see, this, this bubble is going to pop. This, this Disney-structured bubble, it, it's not what people want anymore. I think there's something new happening. They're sensing what in the church we call this holy discontent. They're sensing that something is not quite right. This doesn't look good. So I, I, I don't know what needs to change, but something has got to change. And what Pixar did 
is that they began to write those things down. And in writing them down, they changed the game, they changed the world, they changed the way that we tell stories today. And it resonates through all the stuff that the strategy team has been doing, through all the stuff that we've been working towards in the summer, we've begun to write these things down. It's a huge mental shift. And we're hoping, we're stepping out into great risk here, but we're hoping it's gonna work. I love the Christian life when it comes to risk, because risk is something that Christians really don't do very, very well. We have this saying that says, like, God's got it. Like, that's a very common Christian phrase, like, God's got it. But we don't really believe that. Because if we believe that, this place would look radically different and the world would look radically different. If we really believed that God had it, we wouldn't be worried about a thing. So the word risk in our scenario really isn't risk at all. Risk could be replaced with just tremendous trust. Tremendous trust that a community that is welcome to everyone, not just some people, is going to work. Tremendous trust that God is going to move mightily in this city, in this place, no matter how big or small we are, we're going to continue to believe that God can do great things with the local church because we love and believe in the local church. So this morning, um, I'm going to invite you guys down uh, to the table. And this is another brilliant way that Jesus tells the story. On his last night, his last supper with his disciples and close friends, he did something so profound because he, he, he created a new tradition. What he did was he said, this is my body broken for you. And he breaks the bread. And he says, eat this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for you, the sign of a new covenant. Drink this and remember me. And in doing that, he creates this tradition for us, the church. He creates this space where we can come and enter into the story. Because the awesome thing about tradition and we know this, that like when we're in that tradition, we're kind of stepping outside the timeline. Like we're no longer really here. What we're doing is engaging with not just Jesus in that moment. We're engaging with thousands of years of Christians who have done the same thing. It's a profound moment. So I'm making this really, really clear. Everyone is welcome at this table. Everyone is welcome at this table. So no matter who you are, where you're at in your life, you are welcome to come partake of this because we believe that the love of God is that big. And the other thing I want you to do, this is challah bread. It's full of butter and carbs and deliciousness. I want you to rip off a massive piece as a symbol for how big you believe God's promises are for you. Rip off another double portion for resonate. Cool? And you're going to dip it in the wine, and you can, uh, you, can, you can take it right then. We're not going to take it together. Just take it right then. And there's a lot of people in this space, so this is going to require some teamwork. So you go in rows. Uh, the other major, major thing that I want us to engage with is this. So most of you have what we call a community card. Um, and if you have that and you have that filled out, I invite you to drop that in. We want to be praying for you guys. We want to engage with the questions that you have on there, any sort of note that you have on there. More importantly, this is a space to be generous. So instead of passing the, the baskets through the aisles, we want to create a worshipful experience in our giving. And so you can come up front and you can drop your tithe and your offering. And you can also give online, but this is like more of a symbolic, worshipful way to give. Um, so I invite you to come forward, feast, engage with the community table. And uh, we're going to worship. I think we have two songs. So once you've done this, just filter back into your seats and go ahead and, and stand and join in the worship and the singing. Let me pray before we uh, do this. God, 
I'm, uh, I'm just so excited for what you have in store for the future of this space, this community, this arrows out thing that we call Resonate. And I'm also just thankful for the people in this room, Lord. God, bless them. And we lean into that blessing, we lean into that story as we take communion together. So I pray that this would just be a worshipful, astounding time where we encounter you, Lord. Amen. So one of the first rows just come, filter up.